This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who's on a mad tear to find himself some Texas BBQ. Here is the captain. I'm also looking for a stoner driving a Lincoln. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Ah, super happy to still have some Sunset Cerveza to sip on today in the garage. This is by Oasis Brewing Company, and they serve this all year long. This baby is clean, crisp, light, and roasty garage grade three and three-quarter bottle caps. And let's give some praise where praise is due, my friends. First up, a big shout-out and thank you to Grace and Nicola in Santa Monica. A big shout-out to Chris in Aiken, South Carolina. And we also have a shout going out to Craig in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And a we like your jib to Hillary in Sutter, California. Let's go back out east and give a thank you to Iris in Hartford, Connecticut. And last, but certainly not least, we have Lori in Augusta, Maine. Thank you to all who helped us out with this week's beer fun. Yeah, B-W-E-R-R-U-N, beer run. If you need more True Crime Garage for your earballs, check out our bonus show called Off the Record. You can find that exclusively on the Stitcher app. Or go to our website, truecrimegarage.com, and click on Off the Record link. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. majority of yesterday's episode questioning what was going on with this boyfriend of our missing person Roxanne Poltoff well I don't know if this makes anything any easier here but it certainly fills in some of the gap in time that we were questioning yesterday and this comes in the way of well a possible alibi coming from detective James Scott who spoke to a desk clerk at the Budget Inn. Remember, the Budget Inn is where Roxanne, according to Lewis, was last seen. She stormed off after a heated argument. The desk clerk made an official statement with Austin PD that she saw Roxanne leaving that night, backing up Lewis's story. She also says that she saw Lewis pleading with Roxanne to come back. And then later... 
This clerk says that she herself went to Lewis's room when she got off work, this around 10 p.m., and the two of them hooked up. The clerk was with him from about 10 p.m. till 3 a.m., according to the clerk's statements and Lewis's statements as well. And so she could vouch for his whereabouts during that five-hour window. According to ID Disappeared, which ran a episode on the disappearance of Roxanne, the clerk took and passed a polygraph test. But this alibi for Lewis seems, well, a little convenient, I guess. But if she took and passed a polygraph test, maybe it is accurate. One thing I do question, though, is I would like a little more detail on this story regarding what the official statements were from this desk clerk. Where is her vantage point at this hotel? Would it have been a natural area? You know, does she have access to a space that she could have seen Roxanne walking off? Or is she simply believing Lewis's story and regurgitating it saying and telling the same story to the police at a much later date. The family, and this is Roxanne's family, looked into Roxanne's cell phone records, and they say that they saw something unusual. They found a ton of calls starting being made on Roxanne's phone while it was in Lewis's possession. Now, we have to keep in mind, it is Lewis's own words that he was the one in possession of the cell phone. So there's no argument there. There were a ton of calls on July 7th. That's the night in question. And over 300 calls between July 8th and the 12th. So a lot of activity on the phone, even after the time frame when Lewis says that Roxanne left. And again, he, by his own admission, was in the possession of her cell phone. He has no phone himself. Detective Scott described the calls as rapid fire and with calls being made every minute or so. He's even on record saying that it seems to him like it's someone trying to desperately establish some kind of alibi by calling all kinds of people. This was to a long list of phone numbers, but it also included other motels in the area Local chat lines, remember back in 2000, the early 2000s, you would see those ads on TV at all hours, especially late at night. Hey, lonely tonight, call this number. Hot local singles want to meet you. It was that kind of phone numbers that someone was calling using her phone. Yeah, those are depressing. Are you lonely tonight? I'm lonely every night. Many of the calls were to an ex-girlfriend of Lewis's who lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico. This woman, she denied that she answered the calls, but of course the phone records would tell us otherwise. And then there was the missing ID. Remember we said yesterday that she, Roxanne, if she did storm off after a heated argument like Lewis would tell us, she left a lot of her personal possessions in the motel room which he later gave back to Roxanne's family. Again, some question about the clothing, but anyway, we still have the ID because we've always been told in this case that Roxanne, she took off, and the one thing that she did take with her was her state ID. So this item is missing, as well as Roxanne, of course. On July 13th, so this is six days after Roxanne was last seen, A man named Jeffrey Moore was arrested at a Runberg Motel 6, right near the Budget Inn Motel where Roxanne was once staying. Jeffrey Moore picked up a dancer at the Perfect 10 Men's Club, asking the dancer's husband, quote, how much for her? The husband said that she could provide private dances at another location, but she would not be sleeping with Jeffrey Moore. So the three of them drove to a motel where Moore managed to lock the husband out of the motel room and then began assaulting the dancer. He was trying to rip off her clothing and he beat her up pretty bad. 
When she started screaming, the husband grabbed a nearby security guard, his name Brian Parker, and a pass key, and the two barged into the room. Jeffrey Moore ran out of the room, but he ends up leaving behind his wallet. He also left behind his hearing aid. Jeffrey Moore is deaf and required the use of a hearing aid. So Moore goes back to the motel, this in an attempt to get his stuff, hearing aid and wallet. But he is arrested when he returns to the motel. And Parker, the security guard, opens up Jeffrey Moore's wallet, and he sees something important. In Moore's wallet was a Texas state ID that did not belong to him, and it did not belong to the woman that he was going to be charged with assaulting. It belonged to a young woman, and that, of course, is our missing person, Roxanne Paltoff. But this was not put together with the reports of the missing young woman for a while. From my understanding here, Captain, what happened is police believed it would belong to the assault victim. The assault victim says, no, that's not me. That's not my ID. It doesn't belong to me. Right. They don't know what to do with it, but they do know they're going to be charging Jeffrey Moore with assault charges. And so this ID belonging to, I mean, they obviously have the information of the person on there, but they've not made the connection that it is, in fact, a missing person. So it kind of sits in an evidence locker for quite some time. Now, it comes time to return this stuff. So the person in charge of returning the items that don't belong to the person being charged figures out, oh, wait a second, we can't return this because the person this ID belongs to is missing. Long story short is this man, Jeffrey Moore, turns out to be in possession of a missing woman's state ID. And we know he's violent. That's right. And I would go ahead and label him to be a a rapist or or something of that nature, because that appears to me what he was attempting to do that night. And thankfully, this was stopped before it could go even further. But from my understanding, he beat up this woman pretty bad. This guy, he again, he's deaf, so he he had to be interrogated. And this is about questions regarding Roxanne's disappearance. So they sit this guy down, and with the help of an interpreter, they're they're hoping to get some answers. Initially, he told the police that he was friends with Roxanne, and that's how he ended up with her ID. Hmm. See, this is what I, I have issues with in this case. We have this situation where the boyfriend says, all right, well, she left. She left on her own. She was mad at me. Hmm. Uh, and... <laughs> That seems somewhat believable, right? Because he seems like a guy that you would have every reason that you can think of to be mad at. But it's weird that it's like this small little item. Oh, she didn't take all this stuff. And that's easy to point out because it's, she physically left it here. It's all here in front of me, but she took her ID with her. I mean, was she waving it as she walked out the door, Lewis? I mean, it just, it seems like an odd thing for him to notice that she actually took this item with her. Yeah. And then that being as weird as I think it is, as suspicious as I think it is, it ends up turning up with this guy, this other loser. He has her ID. He's in possession of it. And his first explanation is, well, we're friends. Mm. What do you mean? You're, You're friends. You have her ID. Did you know she was missing? You know, you had her ID for six, seven days. Did you help look for her? Did... Why didn't you bother to notify anybody that you have this missing person's state ID? We mm-hmm. had to pull it off of you during the course of an arrest. Well, then that story's not quite good enough, so he changes that story a little bit. Jeffrey Moore then told police that he was friends with both Roxanne and Lewis, but not super close, only knew them a little bit. But he had recently drove the both of them on a cigarette run to pick up some smokes at a local Walgreens or a dollar store. I've heard the story presented both ways. Well, a couple things. I would like to know if this individual was the one to bring up Lewis or if the cops brought up Lewis. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm friends with Roxanne. Oh, yeah, but I'm also friends with Lewis a little bit. If he brought Lewis up without the cops knowing, then... 
he's more believable. So he says that it's during the course of helping the two of them out, taking them to go pick up cigarettes, that she left her ID in his car, and he wanted to return it to her, that that was his intention. But, of course, now he's arrested for these assault charges. Well, this brings up an interesting point. And Lewis doesn't tell us this, but maybe he could. Before this argument got so heated that she left, was she preparing to leave anyways? Like, hey, I got to grab my debit card. I got to grab my ID because I'm going to run down the street and get some smokes. And then they get into this argument and then she leaves. And that's how Lewis knows what she took. Could be. Could be. What we do know is that <clears throat> what we do know is this is the story that Jeffrey Moore presents to the police about the cigarette run. And later, when questioning Lewis, Lewis confirmed the story when he was interviewed with police. But it seems like the details of this story differ between the two accounts, you know, depending on who you ask, Lewis or Jeffrey. So. Then Moore provides another story to police. And well, says, yeah, because, I mean, two is not enough. You need a couple more stories. He says he wasn't friends with Lewis or Roxanne at all, that he had just met the two of them at a club and befriended them there. He then gave them a ride to Runberg, and Roxanne dropped her ID in his vehicle at that time. What, whatever the case may be, if one of those three stories is truthful, who can say? But regardless, we have a missing person who he is in possession of their state ID, and he's giving multiple different stories as to how he obtained that ID. Well, and also what we know about this individual is if you befriend him at a club and that once you leave that club, he'll lock you out of the room Why he tries to beat the shit out of your wife and tries to rape her that's what kind of friend he is the other thing that i find incredibly suspicious is we have the boyfriend who isn't denying that they knew this man the boyfriend would look a lot more innocent to me if he's saying yeah i, I don't know who that person is he oh my god he must have picked her up after she left here after she stormed off in this dangerous area no that's not what he's saying he's saying we knew this guy that, yeah, we went on a cigarette run with him. Well, supposedly Lewis has an alibi, at least for a time period of the night. What about this guy's alibi? Well, he, again, he's telling three different stories as to how he would have had any interaction with Roxanne at all. So he has three alibis. Yeah. And when you have three alibis, you have no alibi. Mm. Detective Scott, working the case, describes Jeffrey Moore as a sexual predator who was known to rough up working girls. And officially, he is considered a person of interest in Roxanne's disappearance. His car was processed by the Austin PD crime lab, but it does not appear that they came up with anything against Jeffrey Moore. Now, remember we said that Lewis had called an ex in Albuquerque multiple times in the days after Roxanne vanished using Roxanne's phone. And she told police that she didn't answer his calls. But according to an article by David Lohr for Crime Library, quote, between July 8, 2006 and July 9, 2006, there were 22 calls placed from Roxanne's cell phone to this woman, ranging from 1 to 49 minutes in length. So judging by that, it sounds to me like Lewis was talking to someone in those 22 calls. Elizabeth and Rosalind, <clears throat> Elizabeth and Rosalind, Roxanne's sister, both spoke with this woman personally. Rosalind says that the ex admitted to her, off the record, that Lewis called her and said, quote, I'm in trouble, I effed up. He didn't elaborate, Elizabeth says, that I spoke with her once, but she said she didn't want to get involved. She said she was getting her life straight. She had been in a woman's shelter 
because of her relationship with Lewis Walls. Here's a very interesting twist in this story. And not a good one. Roxanne's mother, Elizabeth, said that when she and her daughters went first out looking for Roxanne, remember they were walking around outside of the motel where Roxanne supposedly stormed off from. This is just in the days after her disappearance that they met a sex worker who was working the local area who looked at the flyer, the missing persons flyer that they were handing out. She said that the woman kissed a cross that was hanging from a chain around her neck and promised the family that she would help out by looking out for the missing girl. Mm -hmm. Now, about three weeks after Roxanne was last seen, her mother Elizabeth got a call. This is not the kind of call you want to get either. This is the kind of call where they are asking you to bring in your daughter's dental records down to the Austin Police Department. This is because they had found a female body under a bridge. The body turned out not to be Roxanne. Instead, it was the sex worker who had promised to help look for her. Her name was was Loretta Lynn Roberts, and she had been murdered with paper towels shoved down her throat and dumped just a few miles from the budget inn. Now, Whether or not her death is in any way connected to Roxanne's is really anyone's guess. But even if it's not connected, it certainly speaks to the dangerousness of this area where Roxanne was last seen. Well, you kind of have two scenarios here, right? She doesn't, it's not like she's far from home that she couldn't get a ride back home, right? Or that she, if she had, um, her cell phone or if she could have found a payphone, she could have called somebody she knew and had them pick her up. But that's never happened. And we have no eyewitnesses saying that they've seen her. So we really kind of come to two options here, right? That she was met with foul play by her boyfriend or she, you believe his story and she took off in this horrible area and she met was met with foul play there. Yeah, it's it's a difficult story because it doesn't really have any light at the end of the tunnel, in my opinion. Sometimes with these missing persons cases, we say, well, there's a chance that they're out there somewhere and that we could find them or they may return on their own. But that doesn't seem to be what the general consensus is here with Roxanne's case. And I say that because in 2011, Roxanne's case was declared to be a cold case homicide investigation. Now, police publicly won't say why the case designation has changed. And that was in 2011. So 10 years later, and we're still not 100% certain why the designation changed. Now, meanwhile, Lewis Walls was sent to prison in 2013, convicted on charges of burglary and bail jumping for an October 2012 arrest. He was sentenced to two years in prison, and he has not been eliminated, of course, as a suspect in Roxanne's case. Police still believe that he was involved or, at the very least, knows more than what he is saying. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. 
I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. Cheers, mates. Cheers. And and we're talking about Austin and we'll be in Austin, Texas this week. It's exciting. God willing. So it's obvious here, Captain, that police acknowledge that they believe that foul play befell Roxanne. And it seems with them saying that Lewis is a person of interest, Moore is a person of interest, that 
they seem to think that there's probably a likelihood that one, if not both of them, were somehow involved in this. Detective Scott says his theory is that Lewis wanted Roxanne to do some things that she probably did not want to do, was not willing to do. And Moore, Jeffrey Moore, who was known to frequent nightclubs, dancers, sex workers, was somehow involved. And the detective says that he knows that Lewis has probably bragged about what he did to Roxanne, this being in certain company, but they can't get anyone to go on record and state that, you know, Lewis told me this or told me a different story than what he told you guys. And Lewis has not been cooperative with police. I want to make that very clear where it may seem on the surface that he was at one point or was even briefly. He has spoke to police. He has been interviewed by police, but at some point he decided he wasn't going to talk anymore and he hasn't since. In fact, he's dodged them multiple times when they've tried to set up and make arrangements to speak with him further. Of course, Roxanne's family is also convinced that Lewis was responsible for Roxanne's disappearance, possibly in collusion with Moore. But, of course, their hands are tied as well. There's not evidence. We don't have the physical evidence to push this case forward. Roxanne's family has never given up searching for her. Elizabeth has lived in Indiana since 2014, but every year on the anniversary of Roxanne's disappearance and presumed murder, she travels back to the area with her daughters and longtime boyfriend Patrick Doyle to hand out flyers near the motel. They even got a billboard donated for the cause, and they've appeared on America's Most Wanted. Elizabeth maintains a Facebook page for her daughter and has posted on web sleuths. She says she has a special friendship with Detective Scott, who has vowed to see the case through to the end. And it sounds like Lewis Walls and Jeffrey Moore continue to have their issues and brush-ups with the law. From my understanding, Captain Jeffrey Moore now lives in Houston, and Lewis Walls is still in Austin, and last I heard, he was still a free man. I have heard and read Roxanne's family go on the record multiple times and say that they have evidence, they've talked to people that state that Jeffrey Moore and Lewis Walls have more of a friendship or relationship or whatever you want to call it than what is obvious in this case. That they seem to have known each other for a long time, that they run in the same circles, and that I think that only adds to the idea that maybe they were involved in this thing together. Mm -hmm. The thing that we have to point out here that should be obvious is that Lewis Walls, if he did something to Roxanne, look, most murders result as two people getting into an argument that leads to a physical altercation one person loses control ends up killing the other person it could be as simple as he repeated a previous act we have some evidence to suggest that he punched her in the face punched roxanne in the face breaking her nose right it could be as simple as he struck her again she fell and hit her head on something or it was a deadly punch and he went to assault her, repeated abuse, and she ended up dead. And now he had a whole different set of problems on his hands. The weird thing, though, is this dude, Lewis Walls, does not have a vehicle. And murdered persons don't just walk out and bury themselves. Someone has concealed this young woman's body somewhere. And that's why we don't know where she is today. So I see a situation here, Captain, where it looks to me like Lewis Walls is up against it. He's backed into a corner. This is a guy that I don't think he could have covered this up and concealed it himself. If others weren't actively involved in the actual murder itself, 
I don't see how we don't have at least one other person, maybe multiple people involved in covering the thing up. Right. We have the budget in desk clerk. That seems like a possibility. Could have been helping. We have Jeffrey Moore. Seems like a possibility. Could have been helping. Who else? Lewis Wall's mother. Who would have helped this guy? Somebody with a vehicle probably helped this guy. Now, unlike some of the other cases we've covered in the garage, in which everyone seems to know or have a strong belief about who did it, who's responsible, but there's little hope of any new evidence ever surfacing, there were some recent developments or movements in Roxanne's case. This comes from Rosalind Schultz, Roxanne's sister, who, of course, has never given up the search for her sister. In 2019, she was looking at the phone records from Roxanne's phone back from 2006, and she noticed something. She saw that there were airtime charges on Roxanne's bill on the night that she went missing. These were some unexplainable charges that could only be roaming charges. Now, remember, Lewis said that Roxanne walked out on him at around 8.30 p.m. But the records show that Roxanne's phone was on the move. It was out of her coverage zone around this exact time. So back then, 2006, T-Mobile, which was her carrier, had the setup where they had you had your network, right? Which often back then was sadly limited just to the, the city that you lived in or draw a big circle around the city and maybe it carried it out a little bit further than that. If you were outside of your network, then you would receive these charges. What these charges indicate is that her phone was not in the area where Lewis says that they were at the time that she walked out on him. And also where the hotel clerk says they were. Correct. So if the hotel clerk saw something, saw Roxanne storming off, then how did it happen at that time at 830? It didn't, is what the phone would tell us. Who, I, I think it would be very hard to believe and hard to convince anyone else the probability of that phone being in anyone else's possession at 830 p.m. on that Friday other than Roxanne's or Lewis's. But whoever was in possession of that phone, they were outside of her network. Right. So they were not at the Budget Inn Hotel at 8.30 p.m. on that Friday. So somebody's lying. And I think you're smart here, Captain, to point out that sounds like at least two people are, are lying in this situation. Well, I don't know if I believe that the hotel clerk is lying because I, I think her coming forward and talking to police at all is, is in a way to help especially somebody that would be in that area often um, and would see uh, what kind of bad crimes were happening, especially to women in that area. But just because she passes a polygraph test doesn't mean she could be, she could technically be lying without knowing she's lying. She, she could also be lying and knowing that she's lying. I mean, there's a reason why those tests are not admissible in the court. Right, right. No, she could she could have she could have uh, passed the test with with being able to lie, or she sees a girl walking away from the hotel roughly around that time period, and she didn't know Roxanne, so all all she has to say is, "Well, okay, well." I, I saw this girl walk away. I, I went down to this guy's room. I hooked up with him till three. Then I left. All that could be true. She did see somebody leaving the hotel. It just wasn't the missing person, Roxanne. Then who was Lewis speaking with? Because she says she saw Roxanne and Lewis. Well, she said that she saw, yeah, she saw him pleading with her. I don't know. I'm just saying we have no way of knowing if that was Roxanne or not. Right. I don't, again, I don't think that she left. I, 
I mean, who else would it be? That's her story that she saw Roxanne and Lewis walking away together. That Lewis was pleading with her to stay. Yeah, but she doesn't know who Roxanne is. So I'm just saying she might be misidentifying a person that there was a person that was walking away. Don't know who that person was. I think it's a little difficult, though, because I, I want to be clear here. When when you say came forward to help this woman, we don't know that she came forward. What likely took place is that the police are questioning people at the hotel. She works there. And that's how they came across this information. I don't have any belief here that this woman came forward to tell this story. If she did come forward to tell this story to help, it sounds more to me like she came forward to defend Lewis and to help Lewis rather than help in the search for Roxanne. I'd really like to know if law enforcement was able to figure out if there was two hotel keys. I just don't buy Roxanne being the type of person to storm out without having access to be able to come back and get her stuff. That part of Lewis's story makes little to no sense to me. I agree with you 100%. That part of Lewis's story makes zero sense to me. In fact, Lewis's story altogether doesn't make any sense. I think the whole story is a complete lie and fabrication. I think that it makes little sense that she stormed out without a key. Very unlikely because I don't think she stormed out at all. I think that something happened, whether it be an argument between the two of them, or he was trying to get her to do something that she was not willing to do. And he attacked her. And I certainly think that 100% that both of these guys are involved. I think that it just muddies the waters a little bit that we have this one guy that you go, okay, well he makes sense as a suspect and Lewis walls makes sense as a suspect. So that makes it a little conflicting between the two. But when you see that we have the family that point out that these guys know each other, they at one time ran in the same circles that I think that these two are in this together. Lewis Walls could not have concealed this body by himself. No, he's a he's a moron. But again, he's a Lewis is a, a bag of shit from the windows to the walls, and Jeffrey Moore is more of a pile of shit. So I think it was something possibly along the lines like you said, if you take out the idea that she was even there to storm out. It's possible that if he knew and, and okay, it's not possible. We know he knows Jeffrey Moore, but it's possible that he said, Hey, Jeffrey, you paid me this and I'll leave her alone with you or something to that nature. And I think both Lewis and Jeffrey know exactly what happened. And if this Hotel clerk is lying, but somehow passed the polygraph. Come forward and say something because this girl was murdered. This girl's missing. Her family doesn't have answers. Maybe there's something that you did not tell police. Maybe there's something you did tell them that was a lie that could really help this investigation. And it's up to you to come forward. I see no chance that Roxanne storms out and leaves all of her stuff behind except for an ID. I see no chance that she did that. And then let's compound that with somehow this other violent male ends up with her ID. We have two violent males that are at the centerpiece of this case. We have police on record, and they do not do this very often. They don't go on record very often and say, you know what? We've redesignated this case to a cold case homicide. Right. They have reason to believe that. And I don't think you have to use much of an imagination to come to that same conclusion. 
The other thing, too, is they have both they have said that both individuals are persons of interest, named both of them as persons of interest in this case. It's amazing to me that no one has rolled on either of these guys. I share the same theory as the detective working the case that Lewis Walls has told somebody something in the last 15 years. He's told somebody what happened, what went down, who was involved. That's the people that we need to come forward. Those are the people that should be listening to and responding to the calls for help from the public. And they can be anonymous. And again, Austin investigators have stated publicly that they believe that either Lewis Walls or Jeffrey Moore or both are likely responsible for what happened to Roxanne. In fact, Detective Scott has said that he is certain that neither Lewis nor Moore has told police everything they know about Roxanne. Detective Scott says he is very frustrated that although he has spoken to Lewis several times, now Lewis won't cooperate with police, and he doesn't have enough to bring Lewis in. He told the Chronicle, again, this is from Detective Scott, quote, People don't realize that although I feel that he could be more forthcoming, I don't have any legal rights to force him to do anything. And until I get the kind of forensic evidence that would allow me to go to a grand jury to force him to answer questions, I can't. I mean, it's not like in the movies where you can just go to someone and say, well, we're taking you downtown because if they don't want to, all we can say is, well, that's a real bummer. We can't just throw you in a car, but that's not all. Detective Scott says, Lewis just doesn't care that he's a suspect. He's no stranger to bad acting. So it's not a huge burden for him. Basically, Scott continues. I've got two violent offenders both of them are lying to me. They're both hiding criminal activity, but I think one of them is hiding a murder. Per the Chronicle, in regards to the phone records, quote, the records reviewed by the Chronicle show approximately 48 phone calls made from Roxanne's phone on July 7th, including the potential roaming charges for 12 calls between 6.44 p.m. and 8.42 p.m the time period during which Roxanne left the hotel, according to Lewis Walls. What this means is that Lewis's story that they were at the hotel and Roxanne left without her phone and he stayed behind is not true. In March of 2021, detectives sent out a media reminder that they still need the public's help. This year, they hooked up with some of the local news outlets as a reminder that they were still working the case. Roxanne is still missing, and here is where you can send any information that you should have. Roxanne's family is to be commended for their commitment to keeping her case, now 15 years old, in the public eye. But they are tired, frustrated, and becoming hopeless. Her sister, Rosalind, recently said to Fox 7, Roxanne's case is a murder without a body, and we don't have any proof or evidence of a murder. And we don't have a body. They take comfort that the investigators agree with them that Lewis Walls and or Jeffrey Moore are likely responsible. But that is a cold comfort when nothing is happening. Roxanne Paltoff is a Caucasian female. She has light brown hair and green eyes. Her navel is pierced and her ears are double pierced. She has a mole on the right side of her neck and a quarter sized scar on her left knee. She has previously fractured her nose and one of her upper front teeth is false. Her nickname is Roxy. Today, she would be 33 years old. If you can help in any way, please call the Austin Police Department's Missing Persons Unit at 512-974-5250. Or if you have any information and wish to remain anonymous, you can call Crime Stoppers at 512-472-TIPS. That's 512-472-8477. And if you have any theories on this case, 
go to our blog at truecrimegarage.com and join in on the conversation. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for this week? We do not, Captain. How about a little recommended listening? How about no? Good day, sir. I wanted to read, not listen to things. Well, this is for the folks out in listener land. If you should find yourself traveling this week, well, then you're going to need plenty of good stuff to listen to, and I recommend listening to some of our old episodes. Check out episode number 424, A Bad Day in Austin, released September of 2020. Or episode 229, Charles Whitman, from August 2018, and our Yogurt Shop Case episodes, number 81 and 82, from February 2017. And all of our episodes are available to listen to wherever you get your podcast, including my favorite place to listen, the SiriusXM app. Join us back here in the garage next week. Until then, be good, be kind. And shout out to Brooke Roberson in Phoenix. Don't let it. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.